and we're getting to a little bit more uh, technical um, understanding of how to do that. So I hope you'll follow along. We're going to try to use an example here today of how we can apply these principles that we learned last week and the week before, um, how we can apply them to our personal Bible study. So let's begin with a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Lord, thank You for the uh, the willingness of Your Son to give Himself for us. He recognized that... Uh, that that because of your love for us, that he would be willing to to lay down his life in our place, and we ask that you would help us to worship him and honor him in what we do today. We want to listen to you rightly, and so we ask that you would help us to understand these principles of how to study the Bible, and that we would apply them to our uh, personal interpretation and and understanding of the Scriptures as we read through it and as we take small portions of Scripture and study through them as well. We pray for Your help in this way. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I think an appropriate question to begin with is, is why do we take so much time to learn about how to interpret? Um, And we talked about the first week that we started this process of interpretation that we interpret automatically. So, for example, if I said to you, I had a friend in '94 who was green before he began, or he was he was green when he began attending our school, you would understand that you would make an instant interpretation that I had a personal friend who came to. My school in '94, not thinking about the the expressway, but the year in '94, and he was green. And there's all sorts of different ideas you could have about green, but it could be that he was uh, green in the sense that he was growing, or green in the sense of envy. Uh, but you probably recognize that I was talking about green uh, in the sense that he he wasn't very sharp yet with regard to what was going on. And so we automatically make interpretations about everything that we see and hear. Turn over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and I'll show you that, uh, that this is very important when it comes to our understanding and our automatic interpretation that happens when it comes to the things of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all the steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So here in this passage we see in verses 10-12 through God's expectation for us as believers. He says that we should walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. 
So that is the expectation, that we should walk in, in a manner worthy of the Lord, that we would please Him all respect, bear fruit in every good work, and so on. How do we do that? How do we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and please Him in all respects? Verse 9 tells us, For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The way that we please, please God is, be, is by being filled, our minds being filled with the knowledge of His will, with all spiritual understanding. And so how can we do that? The way that we do that is by rightly understanding what He has said to us. Okay, we can't just flippantly go to the Scriptures and say, okay, that I'll, I'll take this truth and, and apply it this way when that's not what it was meant to do. And so we have to take uh, great effort, I think, to, to uh, go through this process. Okay, so I just wanted to kind of set that up before we get started just so you don't, you don't get lost in, in, in all the details and think, well, what's the, what's the point of all this? The point is that we need to be rightly understanding God's truth because we can't really obey God's truth uh, until we understand it rightly. In fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 says, By this we know that we have come to know Him, okay, a proof of our salvation, if we keep His commandments. And then 1 John 4, 6 says, We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So, for us to claim that we are pursuing God, and that we are following after God without reforming our life to what the Scriptures say and what they teach about all the different doctrines that are laid out in there is a dangerous claim. We're saying we follow after you, God, and yet we don't even listen to you or we don't listen to you rightly. And so this process of interpretation is very important. Okay, Let me review before we get into uh, what we're looking at this week. Uh, I said that in order to understand any given passage, the most important thing is what? most important thing is what? Okay, or any verse. What's the most important thing? It's the context. It's what's around the passage. What, what setting? And I, I, uh, I explained to you that there are basically three ways that we break down that context. One is historical. That is, that every book of the Bible was written in a specific place, time, uh, under a given set of circumstances, in a given culture with a specific purpose. So, a historical context. We need to understand it from a historical context. Oh, I lost my, I lost my uh, principles up there, but you have them on your page. The first principle that we drew from the fact that all communication has a historical context is... A text can never mean what it never meant. Okay, we're going to look at that today as we, we, we work through this passage. And then secondly, all communication has a literary context. That is, that, it, that it, uh, every text has to be interpreted in terms of its literary form and its devices. So, is this poetry that we're looking at or Proverbs, which are general truths, or this a command? Does this uh, fit in some sort of narrative or an epistle where it's more uh, lends itself to more to uh, commands and so on? A literary form—that's a form—and then a device is more like 
a figure of speech, an idiom, things like that. We need to understand those things in terms of, of how they use their words and their phrases. And the principle that we drew from that is that all texts are not alike. alike. So, all texts are not alike. Now, there are some that are the same. Uh, you can have a narrative in the Old Testament, narrative in the New Testament, or narrative, or you can have an epistle in the in the New Testament by Paul, and you can have an epistle or a letter by James. So you can have some of the same text, but the point is that they're not all alike. We can't interpret them all the same way. And then thirdly, all communication has a grammatical context, and that means that we need to interpret every biblical text in terms of its original language. And the principle that we drew from that is is that a text only has one meaning. There's only one meaning. We can't say, well, this is what it meant for them, and then this is what it means for us. God had two meanings when He was coming up with these. No, He had one meaning. Multiple applications. Okay, we'll talk about how that works. There could be multiple applications to one meaning, but but only one meaning to that original text. And then we talked about, um, with regard to context, we need to interpret everything with, it, with regard to its larger, larger logical unit. So if you're looking at a specific word in the Bible, you need to interpret it in, tight, in light of its verse. If, if you're looking at a verse, you need to interpret it in, tight, in terms of its uh, paragraph, let's say. And then from there, you need to go from the whole section, maybe the whole book, and then from the whole Bible. And it should all fit together. Because God does not lie. God is a God of truth. And, um, and he, he does not contradict Himself. And then we drew a principle from that, and that is that the Bible communicates a unified message. So, the goal of reading the Bible, studying the Bible, is to understand the author's intended meaning. Okay, we, we need to find out. We need to get into uh, into first century um, Corinth or wherever and find out what was going on here because I'm trying to find out the author's intended meaning. And the way that we do that is through this process of interpretation. Okay? Now, uh, these rules that, that I'm going to give you here or, or that we've been talking through are not just for understanding the Scriptures. This, this should, these rules can be used for understanding Shakespeare or anything else. Understanding the author's intended meaning. And here's how we determine what that meaning is. Okay? First of all, we need to study the words. Study the words of the passage. Then study the sentences of the passage. Then study the paragraph. You see how it's larger logical units, then the book, and then its correlation, its connection to all those things. Alright, so here's the verse we're going to use. 1 Corinthians 14, or the, the passage. 1 Corinthians 14, 18 and 19. We want to try to understand this how, uh, the way God wanted us to. So we're going to use the normal laws of language and interpret it rightly, or at least as best as we can. Okay, Let's read that together. Uh, I'll read. You, you listen. Follow along. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Okay, so the first thing that we need to do is study the words of the, pas- study the words of the passage. So, 
so it begins by choosing words to study. Okay, so look at whatever you look, whatever passage you're looking at, and find words that you don't understand. So in this passage, what could be a confusing word? Even though you you may understand it, what could be a confusing word in this passage? You need to know more about tongues. Exactly. Okay, so choose, and here's the first principle: choose key words in the passage. Now, key words indicate the topic or the subject of the passage. Keywords indicate the topic of the passage. And this is what you're trying to find. This is the very first thing you're trying to find. What is the author talking about? Okay, if we could summarize these two verses, we could we should be able to do that by, by giving a topic. Okay? So for example, if you came up on a conversation and a bunch of people were talking and you heard certain words like wedding and um, flowers and ceremony and reception and all sorts of things like that, you would understand that they were talking about a specific topic. Now, what would that topic be? Marriage or a wedding ceremony, right? We could sum up their whole conversation by saying they are talking about a wedding ceremony. All right? Now, the next step is a little bit more difficult. It is, what are they saying about what are they, what they are talking about? Okay, so that's called the compliment. So first we have the topic or the subject, and then we have the compliment. So they're talking about a wedding ceremony. What are they saying about the wedding ceremony? Are they saying wedding ceremonies are long and a big drag, and you have to, you're always hungry at those things, and it takes forever to eat? What are they saying about a wedding ceremony? See, that's that's the that's how you understand what the topic, or I should say, the theme of of what a person is talking about or writing about in our case. So here's how we do it here. It starts off with understanding what the topic is. And the topic of what Paul is saying here, or what he's talking about, is simply tongues. He's talking about tongues. That's what these two verses could be summed up as. So choose key words. Um, and then and then we'll talk about how we need to study those words. All right? Then, not only key words, but also unfamiliar words in this passage. So, Look through these two verses. Are there any unfamiliar words? Words that you wouldn't understand or you'd like a little bit more clarification on besides the word tongues? What do you think? Everything's clear? Um, to me, I want to know what he's talking about when he says, with my mind, in the middle of 19. However, in the church I just speak, I desire to speak five words with my mind. What is he talking about there? So I might pull out that word mind and say, what, what is he, how is he using that word mind? Okay? And um, the nice part about having a modern, up-to-date translation is, is you're not going to find a lot of unfamiliar words. Okay? Now, maybe you've, read, you've been reading through the Bible and say, wait a second, I find a lot of unfamiliar words. But those are usually... I mean, if you're honest with yourself, those are usually, if you have an up-to-date translation, cities or names that are unfamiliar. But, but as far as the words themselves, um, other than words like propitiation or um, if you're reading the King James Version, lasciviousness or concupiscence or something like that, uh, you're not going to find a whole lot of words that are unclear. So, when you do come upon those words... Um, then what you need to do is you need to def- um, set those words aside, write them down, and then and then uh, 
figure out what they mean. That's the next step. Define words in the passage. So, first of all, define keywords. Okay, what was our keyword? The one that showed us what the topic was. Tongues. Okay. So here's the first step. You can either do uh, you can do you could do this or you could uh, do this next step. Really, you could, this first step is not as important. That is, go to a standard dictionary. Okay, just look at a standard dictionary and say what what does what does the dictionary say that tongues are? All right. And the only problem with going to a standard dictionary um, where it can't it's not necessarily as helpful is that a standard dictionary, English dictionary, gives you the the meaning in a contemporary significance. But what are we trying to find? Okay, we're trying to find historical context. So we're trying to find out what the author had intended. So a word's meaning can go out of use over time, right? Like we, we gave the illustration of of the Flintstones with having a gay old time. That word's changed over time, right? So so words can change meaning over time. So we have to go back to what it originally meant. So if you go to a standard dictionary, it can be helpful to help you understand what it means. But I would suggest more helpful would be a Bible dictionary. okay? And that will help you see what the meanings are as they were given in the Scriptures. okay? So for example, in, in Unger's Bible dictionary, it gives two meanings for the word tongue. One is, you can imagine, it's used in the Bible of a literal tongue, the, the organ that's in your mouth. The other meaning is that it, it is used of spoken languages or dialect or dialects. Okay, so which definition is the author using here? Languages. Okay, so easy enough, right? Go to the Bible dictionary, look at the different definitions that are offered and, and try to determine which one Paul is talking about. And you do that by looking at the surrounding words. Okay? Surrounding words in, in, in there. Paul says, I speak in... He says, tongues. And it would be hard for one person to speak with multiple physical organs. Okay? So, he's, he is speaking about languages here. Okay? So, define, first of all, the key words. And then, secondly, define unfamiliar words. Now, if you were using a New International Version... Um, you would come across... Does anyone have an NIV? Okay, what does that say in the middle of verse 19 where it says, I desire to speak five words? Okay, intelligible words. So let's say you were working through an NIV. That would be completely fine. And you came across that word, an unfamiliar word, intelligible. Now, this is the same sort of thing. You, you want to go to this standard dictionary or a Bible dictionary and search for that word. Now, in a Bible dictionary you're not going to get every single word that's in the Bible. They're not going to tell you what road means. Okay, you, you, you know what road means. So they're not going to tell you what that means. Intelligible is a pretty common word, so they're not going to go back and say, this is what it meant back then. So in that case, you may have to go to a standard dictionary. And if that's not very helpful, then another way you can do it is go to your concordance. Find out okay, your concordance is in the back of your Bible. Or you can get, uh, we'll talk about resources that you can get to help you find more. In the back of your Bible, it'll tell you where that word shows up in the rest of Scripture. So then you find that word and look at it in other contexts. What did it mean here? And a lot of times it'll mean uh, have the same sort of meaning in, uh, in both contexts. Okay? So study the words of the passage. So now we're looking, 
real narrowly. Okay, we're looking under a microscope a little bit. Now we're going to broaden out a little bit to the the sentences of the passage. Next, we need to study the sentences. Each word in a sentence is a part of speech, which is designed to give each word function in the sentence. Okay, so now we're back to grammar school, back to English class. I'm not going to have you list all the parts of speech, but but you do have to have a basic understanding of, of how words work together in order to understand what people are saying. Nouns, for example, uh, describe person, places, and things, while verbs describe actions and being. Um, and even small words or, or small few words have importance. Look at verse 19 again. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that, I may instruct others also. Those two words are really important because they indicate the reasoning for his preferring uh, words in, in one language. He does it so that others can be instructed. Okay, So you need to study the, uh, the structure of the sentence. How does it fit together? What is uh, subordinate? What, wh- which part is more important? Which part is, is not as important? It's just kind of... Uh, uh, there to help support it. And then, not only study the structure, but the relationship of the sentences. Okay, so for example, in ours, we look in our passage, it says, verse 18, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. And now we have a connection here between two sentences with this word, however. Okay, so he, he, he contrasts. He says, I could do all these things because I can speak in all these different tongues, languages. However, I'm not going to for the sake of the church. Okay? So we need to understand a little bit about how those words um, do that. And um, so Paul's saying, although I have the, the ability to speak in languages that some might understand, the church. Uh, the purpose of the church is that they are instructed. So that's what I'm doing instead. All right, I've given you a list. I think I have. Yeah, a list of um, terms used to connect sentences. And uh, so that, that just describes the different ways that sentences relate to them to each other or clauses relate to each other and so on. All right, so first we start out looking at the words. Tongues and uh, the word intelligible or with my mind. Now we, we moved out to the sentences, and now we're moving out a little bit farther, the paragraphs. Okay? So what you would do is go to your... In fact, let's do that now. Turn to 1 Corinthians in your Bible. First Corinthians 14. And what we want to do is uh, define the content of a paragraph. So words are are formed together to make sentences, and then sentences are formed together to make paragraphs. A paragraph begins a new thought that that supports a larger theme. Okay, so how do we normally indicate that there's a paragraph in our writing? What do we do? We do an indentation. Okay, so look at your Bible. What which paragraph? If you have a newer translation, it should help you in this way. It either has an indentation like that, or if you have uh, 
a King James Version, I believe it has a bold number at the beginning of your paragraph. So what is the paragraph that we're looking at? What, what verses does it include? Starts in 16. Is that what yours does? I have 13. And I go through 19. But you remember, the paragraph markings or the separations, those are not inspired. Meaning, okay, when, when they wrote out in Greek on tablets, do you, do you remember that one, uh, that one uh, manuscript that I showed you? Copy of? It was all run together. They don't even have spaces or punctuation or anything. So when the people, uh, when the people who put the the English translation together, uh, one of the things they did was they put verse markings in. Those are not inspired either. Okay, that's not something that God said. All right, in verse 13, I want you to write this. This is just a way for us to find it easier. Okay, same thing with the paragraph markings. So if you want to understand where the paragraph is of the passage that you're looking at. It's helpful to look at multiple translations to see where these people think they, that it should be. Okay, for for the New American Standard, they put it between uh, verses 13 and verse 19. Um, so what we need to understand when it comes to a paragraph is that a new verse is not necessarily a paragraph. Just because you have a verse number doesn't mean it's a new paragraph. Um, those verse markings were all added later. Um, and then, another thing we need to understand when it comes to paragraph is that literary type affects paragraph structure. So, what am I talking about when I say literary type? Poetry, right. Narrative, um, apocalypse or uh, prophecy. Uh, th- these, are, these are literary types. So, those affect paragraph markings. So, when you go to the book of Psalms, you're not going to see a lot of like you see in the epistles. The epistles they're writing more of an argument, and and, and Paul's telling you what he's he's trying to get you to understand. Or you go to the narratives like in Mark, where you 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 read about a story of what happened. That's going to be more in paragraph form. But when you get to the poetry, it's set up like poetry, where you have lines. Okay, you have one line, and then it it you know if it were in our language, it'd probably rhyme right. Um, and so on. So, so they're not—they're going to be set up a little bit differently. So you have to understand that uh, when you're looking at them. Psalms are more set up like uh, they have parallelism, and proverbs obviously aren't written in paragraphs; they're just uh, short statements of truth, and so on. So that's the content of a paragraph. And then we need to understand the message. So, the message that we're looking for in our specific passage has to do with what the overall theme is in the book. Because everything connects together. The verse connects to the sentence. The sentence connects to the paragraph. The paragraph to the section or the book. And and all those fit together. Because uh, they're all inner uh, working together to make one uh, overall theme. All these smaller themes or sub-themes support the the larger themes. So, in our passage, um, this thought that Paul has in, in chapter 14, verses 18 and 19, that I would rather speak in, in an understandable tongue than, than in 10,000 uh, uh, incomprehensible words in a, in a different tongue. It, he says, I do that because in the preceding paragraph, verses 13 through 17, or in, in the preceding part of the paragraph, it contains 
illustrations about the folly of speaking unintelligible languages. So what Paul's making a point here. He's saying, I, I'm, I don't want to speak in an unintelligible language. I don't want to speak in a way that's not understandable. And then in verses 20 and 21, he offers a direct challenge to the readers to think in a mature fashion on this matter. So, so all these uh, sentences are connected together to form a paragraph, and the paragraph fits with what's around it. So you define the content and then the message of the paragraph. And then once you understand what he's talking about in that paragraph, that I don't want to speak in unintelligible words, that's what he's saying in the paragraph, then now you study the book as a whole. Okay, Study the book that has this passage in it. All right, And the first step to doing that is simply read the book in one setting. Okay, Read the book in one setting. Most of the New Testament books can be read in less than an hour. Okay, um, Especially Paul's epistles. They're very short. And so, if you're reading a passage, 1 Corinthians might take a little bit longer. I should have checked to see because I've got audio of all of, uh, of the Bible and so you can see how long it takes for them to, to speak through these whole passages. But, but I'm guessing it'll only take an hour or two to read through this. Okay, read through the entire uh, book to find out what Paul is saying. What's the overall argument he's making, and how does verses 18 and 19 fit into what he's saying in the whole book? So, for example, if you read through 1 Corinthians, you would find out that the church had a number of problems. Right. 1 Corinthians 5, you find out that they have an immoral brother in the church, a person who calls himself a Christian and is living immorally. You find out about all these other problems, and speaking in tongues was, was one of those problems. And the book indicates that, that the root of this problem, of, of all these problems, was pride that resulted in a lack of love for others. You see that in chapters 8 through 13. And so this will help us understand what's going on in Corinth and help us understand what Paul's point is when he's talking about tongues. Okay, so read through the entire book. And then determine the author of the book. Turn back to chapter 1. A lot of the books that you're going to find in the Bible will give the author right at the beginning. Okay, I've already been saying who it is, but it tells you right here their, their greetings were different than ours when... When you write a letter, you write sincerely at the bottom or love, and then you put your name. But here, they, they do it at the beginning. They say, from Paul to the church. Okay, look at verse 1. Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the church of, Corinth, church of God, which is at Corinth. So, there in those two verses, we find both who wrote it and who he was writing to. And then number four... So, read the entire book, determine the author of the book, determine the recipients or the readers, and then four, determine the purpose of the book. Alright, that's a little bit harder, but in, in chapter 1, verse 11, it says that some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. So, so Paul had already heard about the problems. Remember I said that the book of 1 Corinthians talks about problems. He already heard about all the problems that were happening and then in chapter 7, verse 1, he says, now about the matters that you wrote about. He says, now that, that, that you've told me about all these problems through writing, I'm going to respond to them. 
And so we find that Paul has a purpose here. And he's trying to address the issues, the problems that come throughout the normal course of a church because, as we know, churches are full of sinners and there will be problems. Okay, so if it's unclear about the... A lot of times you can, you can find the, the author and the readers uh, just by a careful look there, but if, if you're having trouble or if you don't understand what the purpose of that book is, then a good commentary or a study Bible will help. Okay, and we'll talk about those resources at the end. Now, we've looked at the, the individual words. We understand that tongue, tongues has, has to do with languages and that uh, incomprehensible is the idea that, that we don't want to be in a place where people don't understand us because we're trying to build people up. Then we looked at the sentence and the paragraph and now you want to look at and then the book, and now you want to look at the correlation, how those all connect together. Um, because the Bible has many human authors, about 40, yet one ultimate author, and that is God. And so the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So its teachings are consistent throughout. There's not going to be a place where, where the Bible disagrees. If it seems as if it disagrees, then we need to... We need to um, we need to compare scripture with scripture, okay? And that's that has to do with our fourth principle. The Bible has one unified message, or is a unified message. So, in order to understand one passage, we need to interpret it with another passage. Make sure that 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 uh, these things that we're we're learning are not contradictory, because God is not, right? I used the example last week of losing your salvation that in, in John chapter 10, it's clear that we cannot lose our salvation. So we went to a more difficult passage in Hebrews 6 and we saw that, that it looks like you can. And so in that difficult passage, my point is, go to the other passages that are clearer. Interpret Scripture with Scripture. And here's the way you do that. Okay, Study related passages. Okay, study-related passages. The whole Bible it is set in the context of both content, what's in it, and time. Okay, when it happened. So the message and the chronology have to be correlated together. So here's how you do that. You compare the message of related passages. And a lot of times what you'll find is if you have a cross-reference there in the center of your margin or off to the side, it'll tell you other passages to look at that have to do with the passage you're reading about. So, um, if you come to... I'm trying to find... see if mine does. Mine actually doesn't. Uh, not for these two verses. But if, you'll ha if you have a concordance or... Um, or a good commentary or a Bible dictionary, it'll help you point to other passages. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 2 because I want to show you okay, a related passages with a related passage with regard to tongues. Acts chapter 2. If you were to look up references that include the word tongue, you would come up with this passage, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Alright, it's talking about all the believers. Look down to verse 4. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, that is, them speaking in tongues, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So from this passage, we learn that speaking in tongues was practiced as languages were understandable to hearers. Okay, did you see that in verse 6? They were bewildered because they heard them speak in their own language. Now, often what you hear about tongues today is that, that it is unintelligible language. But if you look in Acts chapter 2, you notice that that is not the purpose of tongues. To have some sort of heavenly speech where we can talk to God. Because God, we, we can speak to God in any language, right? That's not the point of tongues. The tongues is the purpose of tongues in Acts chapter two was to speak to others. So when you come across those people who are saying that that uh, no one else understands it, and I don't know if you ever sat in a service like that, but I've heard of people who have. Mark, you have. Yeah, and there's not you can't understand what's going on, and. Um, and that's not the point of it. So, so what we learned from this passage in Acts 2 is that, that this was really the beginning of tongues. This is when the Holy Spirit came on the church and He allowed people to be able to speak in different languages so that other people could hear and understand. But the purpose of it was to be intelligible, to be understandable so people could hear and understand what was being said about God. Alright, so now we've broadened our study from 1 Corinthians out to another passage that speaks about tongues that helps us shed light back on 1 Corinthians to see what was the original purpose of it. And, and now that clearer passage becomes the, the uh, strength or the basis for which we understand the, the less clear passage, the one we're looking at, 1 Corinthians. Okay, 1 Corinthians is not as clear about, okay, so what's going on here with Paul? Um, so, this clearly was a gift from God that God used to uh, announce His Word to, to, to people of all languages. But His purpose... Okay, back to 1 Corinthians 14. You can just look on the front of your handout if you'd like. 1 Corinthians 14, verses eight, 18 and 19. The purpose is so that, Paul says, I may instruct others. So, what he's saying here is and this is we've gotten now into developing principles from the passage. How can we use this for ourselves? Because God's not telling us to speak in tongues in, a, in an intelligible way because tongues have ceased. Um, God is telling us something else. Okay, I mean, it, it's still the same message, but we need to be able to draw principles from it that, that, that would apply to us. And here's the principles that we can draw from it. Okay? The purpose of what we do in church is to edify, to instruct, to build up other people. So, if we're doing something, no matter if it's using our gift for God, okay, if it's juggling or whatever it is, okay, whatever gift we have, if if we're using it and it's not benefiting the body, the the people of the church, then it's useless. Paul says. I would rather speak 
five words in a way that people could understand than 10,000 in a way they couldn't understand. So my point is, I'm doing it to build people up. So here's the principle. We need to do everything that we do for edifying and building others up. So we've just developed a principle for us to... Uh, that, that we pulled from this passage that is a legitimate principle and now we can apply it to our lives. And here's how we do that. Okay, Activity which directly builds up or facilitates the building up of others is the primary concern. Paul's primary concern was not so that he could show off his skills or his gift. His primary concern was to build up the body. To help people to, to, to understand God more, to love Him more, and so on. So, that means that uh, it's, not, it's very obvious the, the application has to do with our preaching and our teaching and our singing. Okay, That it should be understandable. You may have been to churches where the singing has not been understandable because the, the music is so loud that you can't even understand what the words they're saying. Okay? They're not doing church what, the way God wanted them to do it. They may have, they may be very gifted people, but if you can't understand what's being done there, if you can't understand the words, it's like speaking in tongues, in tongues in the sense the way our culture understands tongues. That is in an unintelligible way, and it's pointless. Okay, so our preaching should be understandable, our teaching should be understandable, our singing should be understandable. But not only that, we could. Um, it, it, so it's not for the purpose of self-glorification, so, but for the building up of others. Um, so that's a little bit more obvious when it comes to direct, direct speaking or teaching ministries. But it also works for indirect ministries as well. So ushers and nursery workers and custodians. The the principles that they live by should include um, that. They, they should be doing what they do in a way that facilitates or helps out the building up of other people. Okay, So that doesn't mean we just scrap every other ministry. Okay, We don't need the sound ministry anymore. No, what, what ministries are we doing that help build up the body? All right, And that includes um, all these different ministries, hopefully. And, and we understand that, that as we do them, we, they, they are only helpful as long as they're building up the body. If, if for some reason we have a ministry out here or a program that, that's being done because we've always done it and it's not doing this primary purpose for the church or the primary concern that we should have for our church and that is building up the body, then Paul says, just like with tongues, it's useless. It's useless. I'd rather do a little bit in an intelligible way or a helpful way for instructing others than a lot. Okay, So you come to these churches with all these different programs and, and they just do things to do things and, and sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not. But, but the point is, is that they have to meet this, this qualification for ministry okay, for, for our church. That they are building up uh, the body. That they are edifying. All right, and then on the back I gave you suggested Bible study tools. Okay, I'll let you look through those. And uh, if you, you need more help um, finding these, you probably could find um, all of these except for possibly the, that systematic by Dr. McCune. 
You could probably find all of these at your this uh, family Christian bookstore. Okay, so if if you need help, in fact, we probably have some of these in our library. I failed to check beforehand. Any uh, questions or thoughts, Jared? Okay. The Grace Station is the name of the store? Okay. Yeah, so... Okay, so now, at the end of this, you may feel a little bit overwhelmed. Like, how am I going to apply these principles? Or how am I going to take what you just told me today and do this with every time I read. That's not what I'm suggesting. Okay, I'm not saying every time you read the Bible, you have to understand every single word. Now, that is the goal. You want to understand what God says. But what I would suggest to you is that you should be having a regular systematic time where you're reading through the Scriptures, just listening to God. Okay, But also, it's not bad to set aside additional time where you're we're just taking a small portion, maybe something that you were confused about. And this is how you apply it. This is how you understand it. Um, you use these principles to help you to see what that means. Okay. And if you're working through a specific passage and you have a question, I'd be happy to work with you. I don't have all the answers myself, but um, I, hopefully I can point you somewhere um, or some resources that would help you. Um, any other questions or comments? We ought to work very hard at at understanding what God is saying to us. Okay? So don't take the scriptures lightly. Do not ever get to a place where, you know what, just too much work. I'm giving up on it. I'll just use the verses out of context like I've been doing, you know, before or whatever, or like everybody else does. It seems to work for them. Our goal is to be built up in the knowledge of God's will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding and that begins with a right understanding of Scripture. Okay? And so we need to work hard at, at, at understanding it. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we are not accustomed to this kind of study when it comes to Your Word. We don't take long periods of time to study uh, a verse or two and uh, it just seems like it's too much work and and sometimes we wonder if it's really worth it, but um, we understand that You do have a purpose for us, that You are reforming our lives. You are changing us. And that happens through the Word as we understand it rightly. And so we ask that You would help us to, to not take Your Word lightly and not to go to the other extreme and and be so overwhelmed by all this that we just give up on it, but that we um, look for You to speak to us through Your Word as You enlighten our minds through Your Holy Spirit. And may You, you use what we have learned to uh, strengthen us in our faith and in our desire to serve You and in our witness for You. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.